John chapter 4, verses 1 to 19. Now Jesus learns that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water willing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. This is the word of God. Morning. Do keep a finger or something in your Bibles in John chapter 4. Um, for the last eight years or so, we have had at least one teenager in our house. And we've got seven more years to go. <laughs> and that means there's been this long-term running battle over who gets to choose the music. Maybe you're driving. Maybe you're eating or cooking or working with music in the background and there's only so much Taylor Swift you can cope with. <laughs> and so we've had to decide on what our favourites are. And one favourite I think we all agree on, or maybe it's just me, is a group called Bastille. Some of you will know them. Very thoughtful, honest, poetic lyrics, insightful. And one of my favourite songs by them is a song called Flaws, F-L-A-W-S. And it's a song that aches. And it aches because it's a, it's a painful song, song of, of damaged and messy individuals trying to do life together, trying to make life work together. How do we live and engage and, 
and coexist with each other when we hurt each other, with all our brokenness and our flaws. I'm not going to sing it for you, thankfully, but the, um, the refrain in the chorus sums it up nicely, and it goes like this. It's troubling, but it goes like this. It says, there's a hole in my soul. I can't fill it. I can't fill it. There's a hole in my soul. Can you fill it? Can you fill it? He sings to her. And it's troubling and it aches because the story of the song is clearly no. No. And there's finally just no answer. We're left without a resolution at the end of the song. Google it later. And we can have huge expectations of people. But if I'm asking another person to fill my emptiness, to complete me, to fill the hole in my soul, I'm asking too much of them. That's not what they're made for. That The longing we have for someone to fill that hole is, is not meant to be filled by a mere person. They will always let us down. We will always let them down. However charming your knight in shining armour first appears to be, however beautiful and kind and loving your princess that you longed for, however faithful and, self, and selfless that friend, however amazing that parent, however bouncing and beautiful the baby, people always let us down. And we let them down. Our expectations are wrong. And so my, my point for you this morning really is one thing. That longing that we have is a signpost to a deeper need. It's a signpost to one who can deal with those expectations, who, who can stand up under the pressure of them, who can deliver. It's the one whom we were made for. And in this little account this morning, in John chapter 4, we find him. We find Jesus. And we find a lady, it seems, who has been chewed up and spat out by life. But Jesus is kind to her and he seeks her out and he shows her what she really needs. And so he shows us what we really need. I apologise, I'm just going to scratch the surface of John chapter 4 this morning. Um, but I want to try and hang the account around two, two big ideas for us. I'm definitely a two-point sermon guy, I can't remember three, so two it is. The first one is he came for everyone. And the second one is, he came to quench forever. Okay, he came for everyone and he came to quench forever. You can remember that. He came for everyone. What do we mean by that? Well, we might miss it, but this encounter with this woman at the well is an unusual story in a number of ways. That the woman doesn't miss it. John, who records it for us, doesn't miss it. But millennia later, we might miss it. So look back down again at chapter 4 with me. And let me try and help us kind of read the room a bit. So we see what's going on in this encounter. Jump in again to verse 7. I'm going to, a number of times I would jump back in and read some of the text for us. So verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So she's surprised by this request from Jesus on all kinds of levels. Number one, men did not speak to women in public. It's as simple as that. But then it's more than that as well because Jewish men definitely didn't speak to Samaritan women in public. 
The Samaritans were looked down upon. They were seen as uh, racially and religiously impure. They were the northern kingdom who had intermingled and compromised and they were looked down upon by the supposed pure bloods, if you like. And it was mutual. They hated each other. So that in itself is enough to make her ask the question, what on earth is Jesus doing? And the third one, he's not just talking to her, just as in our culture, to show acceptance of someone, hospitality is to eat and drink together. He's asking her for water. It's, uh, it's friendship. And I see, like, maybe I should run. What is going on here? It's beginning to feel pretty inappropriate, scandalous. Who is this guy? What's he doing? But the plot thickens a bit more. It's unusual because she's come at noon and because she's come by herself. In verse 6, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down beside the well. It was about noon. And that is weird simply because it is the hottest point of the day. And we know it is only mad dogs and Englishmen who go out in the midday sun. But it turns out it's this woman too. She's there. And it's Jesus. Normal practice would be to go in a crowd where it's safer and to go earlier in the day when it's cooler. But she is roasting hot and she's been rejected. And so she's all alone. And John slowly sort of unfolds the story and we're given a pretty clear hint as to why she finds herself in this place now. Later in the passage, verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. I, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Now, I want to be careful we don't judge her too quickly here and jump to conclusions that aren't fair. It may be that she is a serial adulteress. It may be. But actually, we don't know that. Maybe she was widowed. And maybe she was bumped into another marriage too quickly because she needed somewhere to live, she needed food to eat, she needed a roof over her head. And pretty soon she realises she's been too hasty and she's trapped in a damaging and disastrous cycle of, of lurching from one bad man to another, to another, to her husband, and then suddenly she finds she can't do marriage anymore. And so she finds herself each day at a well, hot, thirsty, and alone. She's not looking for trouble, just minding her own business, just getting on with life, keeping herself to herself. But today something is different. Because today she is in a conversation with a man who seems to, to see her and to know her. And it's the kind of conversation that changes people's lives. Friends, do you know, strictly speaking, verse 4 is not true. Because of the hatred, the animosity between the Jews and the, the Samaritans, some strict Jews who were taking the three-day journey from Judea to Galilee would dodge Samaria entirely. 
They would set their sat-nav to avoid the area. They would take the scenic route and go all the way around. And so when we read verse 4, he had to go through Samaria, it's probably not so much to do with geography, it's more to do with, with divine necessity. It's as if John is nudging us and giving us a wink. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, in his diary, he had a meeting with a woman. Sat by a well over a bucket of water, and it's going to turn her life upside down. That's why he had to go. It's a meeting with someone whom nobody else wants to be seen with. Isn't it sad today how easily we do exclude people? We do cancel people in our culture. I was chatting to a friend recently who had come back from the Middle East and he was commenting just on the the reality of the shame and honour culture in Oxford in 2024, in the West. And so I say this gently, but maybe you can associate with this woman here. Maybe she feels like you in some sense, you resonate with her. You know something of her lived experience. You know the, maybe the glances, the disapproving looks, the shame of skeletons in your closet that you tried so hard to keep shut in, but the door still opened and, and you've lost friends or you've lost reputation. Or maybe you just always feel like you don't quite fit in. You look around church here this morning and everyone looks so, wow. And you're eyeing them up and everyone seems to have it so together and you feel like the odd one out. If they knew the real me, Wow, I'm not sure they'd be quite so welcoming. Friends, Jesus had to pass through Samaria because he came for broken people like me and like you who feel like they don't quite fit in. People who wish they could turn the clock back and do it differently. People who who feel far off, marginalised, excluded, cancelled, People who feel thirsty. Because he came for everyone. He came not simply to gather us up and gather us in. Secondly, he came to quench forever. Back in the text with me, verse 7. And Jesus asks the woman for a drink. And understandably, come on, she thinks he's talking about water. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? He he looks pretty tired and thirsty. We know it's the hottest part of the day. He maybe even walked for a day and a half. He's got no way of drawing water from the well. It makes sense. In her mind, it's a fair assumption. He wants water. Of course he does. But then the chat continues, and you realise there are layers going on to this conversation. Pick it up again at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If... If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, See, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never be thirsty. Indeed, The water that I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty. To keep coming back to draw water. Maybe you found this, but for many I speak to, you speak of Jesus and there's a kind of twitchiness 
the conversation develops, that they're wondering what he wants. What does he want from me? Has he come to demand something? Has he come to suck all the life out of my life and tell me what I can't do? What's his ulterior motive? Is this a power play? But look at what he says. It's beautiful. Jesus hasn't come to ask stuff of us, not to lay burdens. He's come to offer us and give us what we need generously, to give us what we were made for, what we've always been searching for. Fair enough, she's confused. In her mind, she's, she's still on water from the well. She's thinking, every day I come here on my own, in the heat, empty jar, and I fill it up, and then I go back home again. And the next day, I do the same. And again, and again, and again. And maybe, I don't know, maybe in her mind she thinks that's the story of my life, always empty. Always needing something else, never satisfied, never content, always, always thirsty. Teacher, if you have got water that will quench my thirst forever, that will save me from the daily treadmill, I'd love some of that. Count me in. Where do I queue? But he's not talking about living. He's not talking about physical water in the well where they're sat. He's talking about spiritual living water that's going to quench forever. And maybe you know this, but I think our daily reality for all of us, if we're honest, is we are looking for something that will fill us. I wonder what it is for you. What do you think you need? If if you could finish the sentence, if only I could, how do you finish that for you? If only I could what? All sorts of things in a room like this. If only I could finish the essay, if only I could finish my exams, if only I could find some more hours in my day, if only I could find the job that will satisfy, or if only I could have more friends, or have better friends, or I just need a new outfit, a new outfit will be it. If only I can get a, a new body, if only I get the results from that blood test, if only I can find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or find a spouse or find a better spouse. If only I can have kids, have different kids. <laughs> if only I can have a holiday. What is it for you? What, what do you finish the sentence with? What are you longing for? What are you hoping for? For some of us, it's just, if only I can make it to the next weekend. And in our heart of hearts, we might know that Things don't satisfy, but I think maybe this time they might. Didn't work last time, I'll give you that. But this time it's bound to, isn't it? Or maybe the older we get, the more we realise it's not some, some thing that we're longing for, it's someone that we're longing for, because we know that, that love is precious. And life is about people and relationships. And, but they let us down and we let them down. It never quite works out. It never quite satisfies. We, we long for love, but it's never quite right. As we started off, we bring our flaws. They bring their flaws. How do we do this? Look again at verse 16. Jesus said to her, 
Go and call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. And the fact is you have five husbands and you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. And we think, what just happened there? It felt like he was being so kind to her. It felt like he saw her and he knew her. And he was gentle with her and suddenly it feels like he's being cruel. Is he shaming her? Is he rubbing her nose in her family situation? Jesus, what are you doing? Why bring that up? I want to put it to you that he is being kind. As he's being kind to us because he loves her enough to help her face the truth and to show what she really needs and how she's looking in the wrong place. I think the maths tells the story. Often numbers tell stories, but her relationships are what happens when we try and live life without God. You see, the longing we have for a relationship that satisfies is the longing we have for a relationship with the God who made us that satisfies. Everything else we drink, everyone else we consume will just leave us thirsty. And it's as if we are busy gulping down cups of salt water each day, more and more of it. We think we're being quenched. We think it works. But it never quite works. We're just more thirsty. And Jesus says to us, he says to me and he says to you, come, come and try living water. Come and have water that will deal with your insatiable appetites. Come and have water that will quench your thirst. Come to the living water that you were made for. Come and trust me. Come and try. Madonna. Madonna is fascinating on this kind of stuff, if you listen to her, believe it or not. If you don't know who Madonna is, that makes me feel very old. Um, and that will be some of you, but anyway, she is a, was a, is or was, I'm not sure. She is an icon, a singer, a performer, a pop star. But she very honestly says this. She says, I have an iron will, and all of my iron will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and, un and uninteresting again and again. My, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. That's quite an old quote. It strikes me that she typifies a, a world of social media before social media really existed. Keeping up your appearances, curating your image is, is relentless, it's exhausting, it's never-ending, the job is never done. In a scrolling world that says, if you stay thin, if you look beautiful, if you excite me, if you continue to excite me, if you make the grade, if you impress me, if you keep impressing me, if you get it right and keep doing that, then we will love you. And sat by the well, Jesus looks at her, and he loves her. And he knew the truth about her. He knew the real her. He knew her and he still loved her. And he knows the truth about each of us. He knows the real you. None of the filters, none of the photoshops, 
None of the editing, none of the pretense, none of the fake smiles at church on a Sunday morning. He knows the real you. He had to go to Sikar to get people like her. He had to come to this world to get people like us. Complicated people like you and like me. And provide living water. He doesn't love us because of what we're like. He loves us because of what he is like. I've said we're just scratching the surface. John's gospel is deep. If you turn the pages of the gospel in this account of Jesus, you will see how much he loves you. You'll see there's an even more important divine appointment to come. His time will come and he will see how he will, we will see how he will give his life on a cross for undeserving people like me and like you. And so he will give us living water. If you've got questions and this is all new for you or you're not quite sure what you're doing here this Sunday morning, um, there are things at the back that you can grab. There's a Christianity Explored course that you've just um, heard about already. There are friends who have brought you invited you who would love to help. This, this divine appointment in John chapter 4, this beautiful encounter with this excluded woman changed her life. And maybe God has similar plans for you. Maybe that's you this morning. I think I have to say this, friends, and it would be remiss of me not to say it for all of us. Maybe Jesus is saying to us this morning, just stop it. Stop it. Stop trying to quench your thirst with things or people or dreams or hopes that will never satisfy you. Come and drink living water. Maybe for the first time. Come and have your discontentment dealt with. Come and enjoy the one you were made for. Come to the giver and stop thinking the gifts will be enough. That they were never meant to be enough. They never will be enough. But can I say as well, for I guess the majority of us here this morning, I have found this account challenging. Maybe you would call yourself a believer this morning. Maybe our application is realising we are a people who far too easily and far too often say, if only I had... And we find our hopes are in the wrong place. And that's why we're discontent so often. And I wonder if Jesus says to me and to you, come back to the well again. Maybe it's your thousand and first time. Come back to the well again. You, you can be content with me. I am enough. Living water is yours. Stop drifting into other things. You have what you need. You have a love that will never disappoint you. You need nothing else. And where our discontentment says, if only I had, maybe Jesus says, Come and have a think again about what you do have. Come and realise all the joy you have in me. Come and know the contentment afresh. Come and, come and recalibrate life even. To rediscover it, to remember it afresh. Stop slurping salt water. It's never going to work. But drink afresh from the well that you were made for. And whether it's our first time or our thousand and first time, maybe life hasn't turned out as you would have expected. Maybe this was not the plan, your relationship, your job, this wasn't what you dreamt of. How have you got stuck in Oxford now? But remember, there she is at the well on her own, trying to get through life, collecting what she needs. 
And there he is showing us what we really need. However it's turned out, Jesus says to you and he says to me, I am what you need in all your mess and your mayhem and your chaos, your calamity, your brokenness, your bruises of life. Come to me. Nothing else works. In a world of dissatisfaction, only I can satisfy. Let's pray. I'm going to pray. Sorry, thank you, please. I think it's a prayer for all of us. It may be a prayer for you for the first time. Our Father in heaven, we are sorry for the way in which so often we look for life in all the wrong places. Lord, you know the reality of our hearts. You know when our hopes get muddled. You know where we look for identity in the wrong things. Lord, we're sorry. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he offers us living water. Thank you that he came for people like this woman. This woman. Thank you that he comes for people like us. People caught up and chewed up and spat out by life. Thank you that he will go on and die on a cross for his people. Thank you that there will be sins forgiven. Thank you that you will raise him again to new life. Thank you that we can enjoy new life in him. Lord, please, please help us. Help us to be those who follow after him. Whether that's the first time today or whether that's the thousand and first time today, please might we be those who keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. and see and know and experience and enjoy all that we have in him. In his name we pray. Amen.